This is the 200 Churches Podcast, created to provide resources and encouragement to leaders of the 94% of congregations in America under 500 members. Now, here are two gentlemen that lead in a 200 church and strive to provide information that will make you smile, think, and be challenged. Oh, and they're all around nice guys, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. I am Johnny Craig. I'm here with my friend Jeff Katie. Hello. And Jeff, who else we got with us? Today we've got a good friend of ours. We're going to call him Robert today, though because we're not going to divulge his real identity. He is a recent attender at our church, and we've asked him to come. And I told him the purpose of today's podcast is to help pastors think about things they're not thinking about yet. Sure. Well, we're thinking about them. Well, we're yeah, we're thinking about because we had Robert in. Well, Robert makes you think about a lot of things, right, Robert? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is Robert's uh, claim to fame. What are the types of things, Johnny, that we want to talk about today? Well, I think what we just want to talk about is we're trying to talk to you, leaders of two hundred churches out there, and we're trying to get you to think in fresh and new ways, and we're trying to get you to think about the next generation, twenty and thirty somethings. You know, we we've all heard about this is the crop of people that have walked away from the church, kind of en masse. Why is that happening? What steps can we take to correct that? What steps can we take to be relevant again to those to those people? And the classic criticism of smaller churches is that they don't have any young people, that it's just full of gray hairs. Often the case of a, you know, there, there are smaller churches that are on the way up, and then there are smaller churches that are on the way down. Right. And the ones that are on the way down is they haven't changed in the last 30 or 40 years, and so they have the people that were in the church 30 years ago who were in their 30s and 40s, and now they're in their 60s and 70s. Exactly. So, Robert, you grew up in the church. What's your background with the church? We're talking to pastors of smaller churches under 500, generally. What is your experience with all that? I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor of a church. Started in a tiny little theater of about 50 people, and over the course of 10 years, it's grown into a church of about 500 people. And that's, uh, it's rather conservative church, and that's what I grew up with, yeah. So you have been going to church your whole life. You're you're almost thirty now. I you went have to continuously church continuously. Gone to church <laughs> no. every Sunday for your whole life. <laughs> no, I went to church consistently until I was nineteen years old, and then for about the last nine or ten years, I have not attended very regularly to any any kind of a church. And now I am attending here. <laughs> well, that's great. We love having you here, and that's you know that's one of the reasons we have you on the podcast today is because you are the people we're trying to talk about. Right, you're the you were in your twenties, not going to church, and you know we want to find out what is the deal. Yeah, so my question to you, Rob, would be: <laughs> It's so would weird. Be, it's so weird to call him Robert. Yeah, it's like, he looks this like a so Robert. hard. Sure. Like, Rob, what caused you to initially step away at around 19 years of age? I think most of what I was experiencing didn't connect with. What I was experiencing in the world didn't connect with what I was learning in the church. I was learning about do's and don'ts, a lot of wrongs and rights, a lot of what the law says. And then in the world, I was experiencing love and kindness and community from people who were excluded from that message. It didn't make any sense to me. love and kindness and community that maybe in a different format than what you had experienced at the church sure. you grew up in. yep, yep. Would it be fair to say that maybe you didn't experience much love and kindness and community in your church? Uh, just not the same kind? I or? mean, what? I guess what's ironic about it is that it was when I was in high school is the only place I felt accepted. 
was in the church, but it was an exclusive type of acceptance. It was, I'm accepted because I believe these 10 values that the church believes. And if I didn't believe those things, then I would be outside of that circle. Right. So in order to find that acceptance, you just believe what they believe, exactly. the line and fit in. Yeah. You don't ask questions. Okay. So to a, to a, 20 something to a 30 something and those those are such overused terms um but you know that that's a real that's a real segment of the population to those people what what is unattractive about the church i mean you've talked about kind of this mentality of you know kind of toe the line as opposed to create um you know love and acceptance but you know what types of things are unattractive about the church Sure. I think that a lot of times the churches that I've been in have practiced and done traditional things that have lost their meaning. They do them because they've always done them, and there's not really any purpose to them anymore. They, it's just part of the denomination or part of the handbook of how we run a church service or how we operate a church. And I think on the flip side of that, one of the responses of the 20-something generation was to create the emergent church movement. It was really big for a long time and then it just it just died or mostly died i think there's probably a few of them still out there but it it was because they were against a lot. It was, well, we don't want to be like that instead of saying, oh, we want to be about this. And so on both ends of the spectrum is this emptiness. And I think what people like me in their 20s or 30s, they want meat. They want um, substance to a service and they don't need the emptiness on either side of the spectrum. Well, Rob, why can't you just be like us? Just go along and get along, man. Don't make any waves. <laughs> right? Just, you know, do what you're, what's expected, and, you know, that's fine. I mean, you can't just, like, leave the church. I mean, what will people think of you? I mean, what about your dad? And, I mean, what about your family? And you're just going to walk away? I think what's interesting about that is... If we look to Christ as an example of how we run a church, Jesus, instead of going to the temple for this ritual of baptism, of of becoming clean, he went to the river where John the Baptist was baptizing people. And he went outside the institution and into the world. He kind of uprooted what was an institutional religion into a relational communal. I don't want to call it a religion, but a a set of a a paradigm, a, a lifestyle movement yeah you're saying you're going to be like jesus and not go along to get along i'm saying i want to be like you jesus want to be like jesus scandalous scandalous <laughs> i've got a question for you rob what are things that churches are doing today that are just contributing to their irrelevance to the mm-hmm. to the younger generations i mean what are some things that that churches just they're not even thinking about it because it's just what they've always done. Do you have any examples, practices, or or beliefs, sure. or philosophies? I think uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is our use of finances. I think one of the old sayings that we hear a lot is "Put your money where your mouth is." When we preach a lot about who Jesus is, and when we spend our money on enormous multi-million-dollar buildings, it doesn't speak well of who Christ was. I think you think about um, the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus is giving this beautiful sermon on a hill. 
hillside that, I mean, people have been talking about now for thousands of years. And he has a way of making an impact on a hillside, on a space that already existed. And now, if we want to impact people, we think we have to build a multi-million dollar facility with lights and stages and microphones and all kinds of things in order to set the right mood so people can hear it. And I think what would speak louder than that is saying, look, we have a million dollars a year to spend. We're going to spend $900,000 on the poor and make sure that our pastors have a little bit so that they can help their families. And I think that would speak volumes about what the church cared about. What are some good things happening in the body of Christ? The movement type things, you know, you're talking about Jesus came to start a movement. What are those movement type things, those kingdom movements that are happening that smaller churches need to take notice of, that the 200 churches, pastors and leaders that are listening, that, you know, if they keyed in on this, it would be helpful to them. I think if you're even listening to this podcast and you're moving in the right direction, I mean, if you're wanting to have a conversation about how to build the kingdom of God, you're already in the right conversation. If you're wanting to have a conversation about what kind of improvements do we need to make on our building or what kind of just old questions, you're not in the right direction. If you're asking new questions on how do how does our church look like Jesus? When we were in high school, everyone wore bracelets that said sure. WWJD. Yeah, absolutely. It was like a really cool fad. But if we took that and we implanted that on our heart, that is something that we, we could be doing that would transform the church. We could actually do what Jesus would do. When we pull out the checkbook, what, what check would Jesus write? And I think that that is a conversation that's been happening at Dover, and that's what got me into Dover, was when I showed up, instead of hearing, oh, hey, we're trying to raise some money for the church, or hey, you know, get involved in these programs, it was, hey, we want, we're really curious, how do we love the community that we're a part of? And immediately, I wanted to be a part of that conversation. Rob, your generation wants to put your faith in action. Yes. You, you don't just want to talk about it. In fact, you don't even necessarily want to talk about it at all. You just want to do it. Right. And how, you know, how did you get there? I mean, I, here I am, 20-something years older than you, and we, didn't, we weren't thinking about those things 25 years ago. You know, we were thinking about what we would wear in the pulpit and how we would lay out our preaching calendar, what our church would look. We were not at all thinking about how could we help the community. I mean, it just wasn't even three years, my last three years in the dorm with all the pastoral students. I don't ever remember a conversation about how could we help the poor, how could we The only thing we talked about in reference to outsiders were how to get them into our auditorium. Sure. Why is it that 25 years later, your generation is thinking about faith in action, not faith on a doctrinal statement? I think it's a journey to get philosophical. I think there's a lot of deconstructing that you have to do. You're raised a certain way to fit into, to conform to a certain image of what Christianity looks like. If your eyes are open when you're walking around, I think you become uncomfortable with that. You realize that you're isolated from the type of people that Jesus was ministering to. If Jesus was hanging out with the rabble-rousers of the time, then I, I I want to be hanging out with those type of people. I want to be having conversations with those type of people. When I look and when I think about how the early church sold everything and gave it all to the poor, I think, well, I have 67% of my income goes to paying my bills. And then the other 33% is, you know, for me and my wife, and my kids and all that stuff. So then all I have at the end is 3%. And I think, oh, I want to live more sacrificially than that, but I don't, I don't know how to. And so we all look to the church and we go, teach us. And then 
10 years ago, we looked to the church and we said, teach us how to be sacrificial. Teach us how to do this because this is what we're interested in. We want to be able to help the poor. And the church was like, well, yeah, but can you give us the money so that we can build this new building? And we all became disillusioned and walked away. And we're like, well, they don't have anything to offer. And now I think those same churches are starting to have different conversations. And now is the time after all this journey, after all this deconstructing, after all like stripping down to where we don't know who, you know, what we have anymore, we can start building that back up again. We need the church in order to be able to build it back up again. If, if you were to talk to a pastor of a church, of, let's say 100 people, churches, uh, it's doing its own thing, it's kind of running its programs, it's run for quite a while, maybe not growing very much. What would you say to that pastor? I think they need to know the community that they live in. And, well, one, they need to live in the community that their church is in. Um, Generally, with small churches, that's not an issue. I think, second, they need to know that community. If you don't know the population, then the percentage of your population that's poor, you don't know your community. If you don't know the population of your community that is immigrant, then you don't know your community. If you aren't actively trying to engage with that community and saying, hey, look, you don't need to come to our church, but you need to be fed. You need uh, to be taken care of and your kids need something. They need to get up out of this. How can we help you get up out of this poverty? How can we help you integrate into this community? If we look at the world we live in, there are all these obstacles for the poor and the immigrant to jump over in order to get the things they need. And for someone who has grown up in this culture, it's hard enough to figure out all those things. And I speak English and I have a degree. And for someone who has a high school diploma or someone who doesn't speak English, that's got to be even harder. And I think it should be the mission of the church in that community to say, hey, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you. The church exists to love on the community. I mean, it's kind of the path way for God to to love his people. So. Well, I don't know, Johnny, but I think most Christians are probably too busy in the evenings <clears throat> watching their whole slate of Fox <laughs> News personalities <laughs> rip and malign immigrants, yeah. right? Because after all, I mean, they're here, you get an awful they're here specific, what, yeah. to take... <clears throat> They're here to get and to take sure. and to consume all of our hard-earned produce in this country. I mean, <laughs> don't right? they don't they produce the produce? Well, well, they yes. maybe they maybe they pick <laughs> some of it. Okay, but a lot of Christians just have immigrants in our culture, especially in the conservative culture, which a lot of churches fall into. They've learned that immigrants, illegal illegal immigrants, right, are bad. I understand they, that they ought to be kicked out. Of our country, and they should not be taking welfare. They should not be. But you have a different view of that. Well, you, I mean, you think that Christians ought to have a different view of that. The language that you use is a nationalistic language, and I think the language that we're talking about is a kingdom language. And there's no boundaries in the kingdom of God. There are no immigrants in the kingdom of God. So if you're talking from the perspective of a church, there is no such thing as an illegal immigrant. There's only your neighbor. If you're talking in terms of the U.S. government, well, yeah, there's illegal immigration. But I'm not interested in being a policeman for the U.S. government. I'm interested in being an active citizen in the kingdom of God. And then the conversation shifts 
completely. Maybe you're out there and you're listening today and you think uh, you think Rob sounds like a crazy person. It should be pointed out that there's biblical basis for, for all of this. You know, right? We look at Matthew 25, it talks about the least of these. Uh, you look at the Old Testament in countless places, it talks about the immigrant and the alien among you, right? How to treat them in the in the right type of way. Consider others better than yourself. Always taking care of the least of the, um, you know, in James talks about the widows and the orphans, which I think in our context, it wouldn't be hard to stretch to, you know, single mothers and their children. Absolutely. Uh, and so when we look at the biblical basis for this, and I think a lot of what Rob is saying is that the church has been well known for the things that it uh, is against that it doesn't do. We've been become well known for doctrine, all sorts of different doctrine. <laughs> and every church you want to go to will give you whatever doctrine that that you're looking for. But really, what Jesus was well known for, and the reason five thousand people showed up to watch him on a hillside, is he just went around and, and took care of people. And he just kind of loved indiscriminately, and that's that kingdom. That's that kingdom mentality that that I think you're talking about, and that that we try to that we try to preach here at our church. And it is difficult. It is a hard thing to move beyond the idea that well, you know, I'm a patriot first, and I'm a I'm an American citizen first. Well, no, we're kingdom citizens first, right? Once we've entered into the newness of Jesus Christ, we are part of this new kingdom. Twenty and thirty somethings. If we're going to talk politically and I'm just candidly for a minute, twenty and thirty somethings are by and large probably a more uh, liberal segment, if we want to use loaded, you know, kind of terms like that, a liberal segment of the population, then, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. If the church becomes known for uh, siding with what are perceived as regressive policies toward immigrants, toward the least of these, toward welfare recipients, if, we, if we're perceived as, as siding with those types of policies, there's going to be attrition. <laughs> That's just the natural way of things. There's going to be people who move out um, because it doesn't, it doesn't appear to reflect those kingdom values that Rob has been talking about here, um, it seems more nationalistic kind of in tone. Johnny, you said something to me, I feel like a week ago, maybe you preached this, but... I um, hope I did. It would be better if I did. uh, You talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and how we've created doctrines and theologies that we've lifted up to a level of idolatry, somewhat like the Pharisees lifted up the law. And instead of caring about what these theologies speak into practice, we care about theologies as dogma. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, he came to show us not what the rules were, but how to play the game. Right. Where my hope that the church is moving is away from holding up theologies and doctrines as purely dogmatic rules to follow and into how do we actually live like Jesus lived? Sure. Yeah. We have to move beyond doctrine for the sake of doctrine and see doctrine as it moves us toward action. And I did talk about that's, you know, that's what Jesus showed us when he said, I've come to fulfill the law. I believe he was saying, this is what it was always supposed to look like. If you had followed it, then this is my life, what I'm doing here. This is what it looked like. And so how doctrines, I said, I I think (laughs) doctrines are great. Doctrine has to always move us toward action, toward looking more like Jesus. So if you... If you want to know, I think, real cut and dry, what people like us are looking for, I'm not interested in when I come to church to say, well, you know, let the Holy Spirit move in you towards doing what God is calling you to do. That's really, really vague. And it's something that I've heard for 28 years of my life. But what I'm more interested in hearing is, hey, Jesus did this, this, and this. And if we do that right now, we can transform our communities. So when we go back into the Gospels, Rob, we see Jesus, you said uh, how to play the game. 
he didn't tell us what the rules were. He just showed us how to play the game, and I really like that. We see Jesus come in and challenge the Pharisees of his day who had set up all these rules and regulations as to how to please God. And Jesus came and gave us an example of how to live in loving relationship with God and in a loving relationship with everyone else. And that love always turned into action. And so you see his life as a as a model for how we as the body of Christ today should be living. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that my hope is that as we attend church and as we participate in our local church bodies, that those communities are driving us in that direction. That the point of going to church is to look over to the person next to you and be like, I can't do this by myself, but if you're going to do it with me, then I can do it too. And so we kind of become interdependent then within the church in order to do the things that Christ has called us to do. And what I've learned from your generation, I am realizing that many, many, many of our churches are in deep, serious trouble. We're in deep trouble because we are not, we are not as a church coming together to live the life of Jesus as the community, as the one body of Christ in our community. We're not. We're coming to church to do our church thing and then to go home. Maybe we're in a small group. Maybe we serve by handing out bulletins or, you know, whatever. But the majority of churches are not in their communities to be Jesus to their communities. So, there, I said it, you know, I'm right out there with it. And, and including our church in many ways. I mean, we are just an amalgamation of all of the things that we've done and believed and the leadership that's been a part of our church for the past 60-something years. But are we being Jesus in the community to the poor and to the sick and to the homeless, to the immigrant? Or are we here as birds of a feather that just flock together? These are really difficult things that we have to face. And that's why, I mean, I'm so glad that your generation, and I have I have kids that are a part of that generation, that you don't think in terms of just keeping the rules and looking good. You really do think in terms of what, what are we doing? What are we doing to be Jesus in the world? Because we are the body of Christ. What are we doing to help others? So, Rob, give us a final thought here to pastors who uh, maybe are in a church that's just program-driven, tradition-driven. You know, what's their first step? What is maybe the first thing they can do to help to get themselves and the people that they lead to think like Jesus thought in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7? Well, I think... There's hope in that you're still there. I mean, you still have your church and you still have the people in it. And if that's the case, then you still have a place to move where people like me, if we're not attending church, we're just sitting inside of our houses being grumpy and critical of everything going on around us. If we are realistic, we need the church in order to be able to do the things that we're interested in doing. I'm not interested in going out all by myself and trying to transform my community. I'm interested in doing it with a group of people. I think the first thing that a church can do is start aligning itself with putting their resources, whether it be the amount of people they have, the amount of money they have, the space that they have, towards caring for the poor, caring for the immigrants, caring for the outcasts, caring for the needy in their community. I mean, that attracted people to Jesus, that'll attract people to your church. The type of people that will maybe agitate you and help you keep doing what Jesus is calling us to do. Holy agitators, maybe. Holy agitators. I like that's a 
good that's a good note to end it on. So if you're out there listening, we hope that this has been encouraging to you. Um, this, is, this is an important topic, and it's hopefully a conversation we can continue to have here. If you have anything you would like to add, throw it in the comments, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you how you're reaching out to the 20 and 30-somethings and, and the things that Rob has talked about today, You know how we can fold those thoughts and those ideas into what we do as a church. So thanks so much for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.